Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'm the Compliance Evangelist, and I'd like to welcome you to Episode 75 of This Week in FCPA for the week ending November 3rd, 2017, the World Series Championship Edition. And this week, Jay and I return for a wide-ranging discussion on some of the week's top compliance and ethics-related stories, all within the context of the Houston Astros winning their first World Series ever. So we have a lengthy discussion on that. We talk about the SEC naming Charles Kane as head of the FCPA unit. We look take a look at a small bank which was uh, fined by FinCEN for its failure to uh, adequately uh, monitor its money laundering risks. We take a look at the myth of the revolving door. We, t- we consider the French court conviction of the Equatorial Guinea vice president and son of the president for uh, laundering grand corruption proceeds and its forfeiture to the French government. We ask if compliance is going Hollywood and if Jay Rosen is involved. We take a look at Adam Turtletob and his podcast with uh, incoming SCCE President Gary Zak. Uh, we take a look at a couple of very interesting articles by Brandon Fox, who is no relation to me, on his report of corruption at FIFA and its responses. Finally, we take a look at whether the question of whether or not the Trump administration will blow up America's biggest trading relationships with Canada and Mexico in the context of the ongoing NAFTA in negotiations through a podcast I had with Doreen Edelman on the Compliance Report International Edition. This month, my one-month podcast series of one month to a more effective compliance program, I am considering how a 360-degree view of Communications can enhance your compliance program. This month's sponsor is Dun & Bradstreet. This Week in FCPA is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, an extraordinarily happy and pleased compliance evangelist this week, uh, welcoming, welcoming you back to This Week in FCPA, episode 75 for the week ending November 3rd, 2017, the World Series Champs Edition. For those people who may not Woo-hoo! have heard, the Houston Astros won the World Series this week for the first time ever, so uh, we may spend some time talking about that. Uh, Jay Rosen is back, but he is mobile today on the road. Where where do we find you today? Checking in from, Jay. I am on the road with my buddy Howard Brown, and we are doing um, some man tripping. We are on the road to um, Cleveland, Ohio home of Drew Carey and Cleveland Rocks. Going to go to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And then tomorrow we're checking one off the bucket list and we're going to Canton to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. So this is uh, not only the World Series Champs Edition, but the uh, HB Hall of Fame road trip. Sounds great. Well, um, I know uh, someone wants to spend a lot of time talking about the Astros, so maybe we can highlight some of the other Compliance and Ethics uh, Stories of the Week by jumping right into it, Jay. Uh, We have uh, the SEC has named Charles Kane as the head of the FCPA unit. He had been the acting head after uh, the retirement of Kara Brockmeyer earlier this year. Um, Dick Casson reported this story. It's also in the Wall Street Journal. And and I guess, Jay, uh, I would say, one, I'm really not surprised. Two, I think it, it really lends itself and leads one to conclude that the story of both the SEC and FCPA unit at the Department of Justice is really one of, of continuity, and I think that's really what Charles Kane uh, appointment represents. Any thoughts from your end? 
Uh, I think you're absolutely right. Um, Charles is a, a real good guy. I, I've met him at several of the conferences. And like you said, I, I think the continuity is what we were all worried about last December, January. And, um, you know, it's taken some time to shake out. But I, I think we're always talking about the career prosecutors. And there is just a real great um you know, record of service that these people have. And we're going to have a, another story that we're going to talk about in a few minutes about the revolving door. So uh, although some people go through the revolving door, some people uh, stay there and continue on with the mission. And I think that's uh, kind of my takeaway from Charles's appointment. Uh, next up, we had a story, uh, I thought a, a, an interesting story, given the size of it, Jay, and it was uh, reported by Sam Rubenfeld in the Wall Street Journal, uh, where a Texas bank was hit for due diligence failures around money laundering. And, and I thought what made it uh, interesting, Jay, was, one, it's a Texas bank. It was in the Rio Grande Valley, which for those who may not know Texas geography, it is the part of Texas which is... Uh, immediately adjacent to Mexico, and it was a bank in McAllen, Texas, called appropriately enough the Lone Star Bank, and they failed to identify and consider public information about a co a corresponding bank in Mexico's uh, alleged involvement in securities fraud. Uh, the Texas bank failed to verify the accuracy of assertions by the uh, corresponding foreign bank concerning the source of hundreds of millions of dollars it was moving through the U.S., There was only a $2 million penalty imposed by FinCEN uh, this week, but it really spoke to, I thought, the um, need for companies both large and small, high and low, and everywhere in between to have robust compliance programs. If you're in the banking industry, uh, that compliance tends to be money laundering. If you're in commercial operations internationally, that compliance uh, program tends to be in uh, anti-corruption. But whatever your compliance program is, whatever the risks you are trying to manage, whether they be regulatory risks, statutory risks uh, that banks have around money laundering or FCPA. If you're a just a regular old commercial entity, uh, you need to, to have a, a compliance program in place. You need to assess your risk and you need to, to manage your risks. So I really thought that that story, although once again, the fine and penalty was relatively small, um, drove that message home. And I think that commercial uh, companies need to start considering not only who they are doing business with, but if they that commercial entity is paying money into the United States for goods, um, you may need to start taking a look at taking a look at it from the anti money laundering perspective. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, next up is what um, I alluded to before. There's a story, and um, I believe it's last night's. Um, Global Investigations Review, and it's talking about the myth of the revolving door. And uh, recently, Global Investigations uh, had one of their uh, forums, and speaking at this were um, Kara Brockmeyer, formerly of the SEC, Patrick Stokes, who was formerly um, of DOJ and is now with Gibson Dunn, and also, I believe the panel was moderated by James Kukinos, who's over at Morrison and Forrester. And, um, you know, in the past, uh, people have looked at the revolving door and worried about, you know, people like Kara and Patrick uh, coming out of the DOJ or the SEC 
and, um, you know, taking their knowledge uh, onto the private side and maybe that there may be some inside information that they're using. And, you know, a couple of the points that they made is that there are uh, certain time periods where they need to recuse themselves from um, cases that they may or may not have worked on. And uh, one of the things that they talked about is, you know, by having this revolving door between public and private service, it is a way for the um, the DOJ and the SEC to reinvigorate what they're doing, to bring in some younger talent or some talent from some of the bigger law firms that do have more resources and are able to better investigate these cases. And at the same time, those folks who have just left uh, DOJ and SEC are really able to um, share their opinions upon uh, you know the best way to negotiate these cases. And I think one of my interesting takeaways, and I'm doing this by memory because I don't have any of my materials in front of me, but I, I believe James asked Patrick, you know, what is his uh, idea about whether or not you should be, uh, you know, re uh, revealing, um, you know, any lapses to the government. And his point was that if you find something that's wrong, your first choice is you need to get into it. You need to figure out how you can self-remediate. And then once you've done that, you need to take a look at the at the calculus involved. But uh, I thought it was a very interesting piece. What what were your takeaways, Tom? So first of all, uh, I think companies always want to have former regulators uh, as their counsel and advisors. And to say that companies can't take advantage of that expertise, I think, is just a, a disservice to corporate America. Uh, the second thing is there are uh, procedural protections in place, which you've articulated about uh, negotiating with the government and uh, on cases uh, that would present a conflict of interest. So that's taken care of as well. Um, there's even some people that say you, sh you shouldn't be able to practice for five years after you leave the government service. Well, that's just inane. Uh, you have to be able to to go out and and make a living and and pay for all the things that parents have to pay for. So um, I really just completely disagree with the, the entire revolving door uh, myth. I, that's what I think it is. Uh, and you pointed uh, in one of our earlier pieces to Charles Kane. Uh, that's one of the reasons it's a myth. Uh, there's no revolving door there. He it's a one way door. He went in and he hadn't left. Kara spent 17 years at the Securities and Exchange Commission. There's certainly no revolving there. Uh, she left the Securities and Exchange Commission. So um, I really reject that uh, as a myth. But substantively, I thought uh, the point you raised about uh, Pat Stokes' comment was very interesting. Uh, his default position is do not self-disclose. And uh, that might surprise someone who uh, – people who um, – see him as obviously a former head of the uh, FCPA unit from the fraud section. Uh, but he articulated his reasons, and uh, he said if you can um, clean up the mess, remediate as appropriate, uh, you don't have to self-disclose. Obviously, no legal obligation under the FCPA to self-disclose. And uh, even if you're determined uh, it's reported to the government or the government finds out later that uh, you had this problem, if you've remediated, uh, you can show the government you've remediated. Uh, and um, the cost, and he contrasts that with the cost. So I thought that was very interesting uh, that that's his default position. So uh, I think it's great that uh, we had a panel of, of former um, 
former folks involved, both on the DOJ side and SEC side. Um, Jay, we had a really interesting court ruling out of France where there had been an ongoing trial against the son of the president, uh, uh, president for life, I should say, of Equatorial Guinea, um, who is uh, personal trial was the vice president, Theodoran Obijang, uh, I'm sure I butchered that, but that's okay, um, for money laundering in France. And a complete victory uh, or complete defense, uh, defeat, I should say, for the vice president of uh, Equatorial Guinea. He was ordered to pay uh, 10,000 euros in moral damages, 41,000 in material damages, seizure of as much as $150 million in assets. He received a suspended three-year prison sentence, an additional $30 million, excuse me, 30 million euro fine. So this is the first time we've had a court case where France uh, took a look at uh, people who had stolen money from their country uh, through bribery and corruption and uh, used that money in France. Obviously, we have the um, uh, asset forfeiture and kleptocracy act in the United States that's been used and was indeed used with this uh, particular individual um, writing in the – Global anti-corruption blog, uh, Shirley Poget and Ken Hurwitz said that uh, they believe the verdict sent a clear message that corruption and the related offenses of money laundering are no longer uh, risk-free enterprises in France. Obviously, we now have French uh, law, Sapantou, with uh, the new anti-corruption law, so perhaps uh, we're going to see more aggressive prosecution by the French, but certainly for those who have fought the scourge of worldwide uh, bribery and corruption, this is a, uh, a very positive development. Uh, so next, Jay, I have a question for you as uh, you have portrayed yourself as a recovering screenwriter, and I'm, I'm concerned you may have slipped because Matt Kelly has announced that compliance is going Hollywood, and since uh, you're already there, why don't you tell us about it? Sure. So um, Matt says that compliance officers should rejoice. The FX network, uh, owned by uh, 21st Century Corporation Fox, which is owned by the Murdoch family and has no financial interest in this week in FCPA, has announced that they're going to do a TV comedy, a half hour series about a compliance officer, and it will focus on the life of an FCPA. SEC compliance officer at a powerful Wall Street firm. So, um, you know, F- FX is known for doing uh, the Sons of Anarchy and doing other, um, I guess, cutting edge kind of things. Uh, Matt goes on to talk about some different portrayals that we've seen of uh, compliance officers in the past. And um, he's just. Uh, uh, wondering uh, what kind of subjects they're going to tackle. Um, you know, I, I guess the, the way to sell it is probably more of uh, a comedy of errors and what you're looking at from the inside. So uh, I guess it's probably an easier sell from Hollywood to do this as a half-hour single-camera comedy as opposed to doing something dramatic. Um, there are some big names involved, and, you know, uh, just because this makes uh, the headlines, um, it's it's a long way from being a short thing. You're going to have to 
shoot a pilot, you're going to have to test it. But uh, I think this is uh, interesting with everything else that's happening in the media these days and, um, you know, where compliance is going and all these new, um, you know, allegations that we have every day towards people in different industries and, um, you know, just uh, different circumstances. So I, I think it's uh, probably not surprising that something like this would get on the air. Uh, it is probably surprising that it's on the Fox network, though. So I noticed you skillfully avoided answering my direct question about whether you've uh, fallen off the recovery wagon. So perhaps we should just leave it at that about your involvement in this um, and leave that. The only writing I have to do is when my taskmaster reminds me that I haven't done my weekend blog. So that's what I'm working on these days. Okay. Okay. That's your story and you're sticking to it. I am sticking to it. <laughs> so next we had a couple of very interesting blog posts on the New York University's compliance and enforcement blog by uh, not uh, the Fox Network, but by Brandon Fox. Uh, no relations to Tom Fox. Brandon is a lawyer at Jenner and Block, a uh, well-known in, international firm, and he wrote uh, some very interesting, or two, I thought, very interesting articles about the ongoing corruption scandal at FIFA, and unfortunately it still is ongoing. In part one, he took a look at the Garcia report, which was finally released, uh, and uh, unpacked that. And in part two, he gave us some of the uh, his ideas about perhaps changing the game plan uh, to make FIFA a little bit uh, less uh, opaque and uh, less prone to corruption. And I really found it uh, really interesting, Jay. Obviously, uh, as a soccer fan, uh, I enjoyed it. But even more than uh, the enjoyment around soccer, it gave some pretty tangible uh, roadmap or, or benchmarks that a compliance officer could use uh, to take a look at his or her own internal compliance program recognizing even recognizing that FIFA is a international uh, sports federation and not a uh, commercial operation or at least in the United States business sense so uh, I commend uh, this uh, two series of articles obviously a link to that in the uh, the show notes as well um, on a side note uh, two podcasts I wanted to highlight Jay the first one is over at um, uh, um, SCCE on their compliance perspectives, Adam Turtletob. Sorry, Adam, the Dodgers did not win. Uh, you will owe me a payoff on that bet uh, we talked about. Um, interviewed incoming SCCE President Gary Zak. And then uh, I interviewed Doreen Edelman, uh, partner Baker and Donaldson, who is a trade uh, expert. And we talked about the ongoing NAFTA negotiations, or in the case of uh, the Trump administration, uh, not really negotiations, but just demands that they put on our two biggest trading partners. And we walk, we walk through those and see uh, where all of that might be going. So with that, Jay, uh, I don't know if you heard, but uh, the Astros beat, beat L.A. in L.A. Uh, to win the uh, 2017 uh, World Series. Uh, big news here in Houston, the um, first Astros championship ever. Uh, you have lived through a drought, and you have lived through uh, some uh, some wins. So, uh, kind of, why don't you share your perspective on what it's like to support a team that uh, never won, and then to all of a sudden be a winner? Well, uh, these stories may be apocryphal, but 
when the Red Sox won for the first time in 2004, my, uh, my dad was still around and he actually went to the cemetery to visit his father and um, to tell him that those bleeping Red Sox finally won the World Series. So I, I don't know if there's going to be uh, similar uh, visits taking place in the Houston era, but, you know, with the Red Sox being long suffering, I mean, there are people who were born and lived and died without world championships. So that is kind of macabre as that could sound being, uh, you know, post Deus de la Mortes. Uh, there were lots of visits and lots of conversations with those who came before us telling them um, about the Red Sox winning. So I'm I'm wondering if things like that will be happening in Houston. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, uh, unfortunately, uh, my fa- my grandfather was cremated. He wasn't uh, doesn't have a graveside, so I can't uh, go tell him. But uh, I'm not quite sure if he's in heaven or some other place. But wherever he is, I'm I'm sure he was uh, watching that. And uh, uh, he uh, yelled and screamed with the best of them. So uh, lots of conversations uh, that I heard on television where people talked about going to games with their parents or their grandparents and kind of the generational aspect of, of uh, watching baseball. So lots of thoughts thoughts about that. I found, uh, found it really interesting from the compliance perspective, Jay. I wrote uh, ended up writing a series uh, every day during the World Series of uh, trying to find a compliance angle, which I was able to do. And just some of the kind of takeaways, if I could summarize from the compliance perspective, was for all of the talk about both the Dodgers and the Astros uh, using sabermetrics, advanced metrics to construct a team um, and kind of tying it to compliance officers who are being told data analytics, data analytics, data analytics. I think both teams showed uh, it's not just data analytics. It's uh, it's it's more than just the human aspect. It's it's a human professional putting an eyeballs on the situation and utilizing the data analytics as one piece of information, um, but also trusting your eyes, trusting uh, how you see people perform in the moment, and then making an assessment. So uh, I thought that was an interesting lesson. Uh, unfortunately, we had a a racially tinged incident where a Houston player uh, made a, um, um, I don't know what you call it, I guess a racial racially tinged gesture towards a, um, a Dodger player uh, and Major League Baseball disciplined the Houston player, but they, I thought, completely dropped the ball because they uh, suspended the discipline for uh, till next season. So that to me renders it meaningless. If you've got a policy and rule and somebody violates that and the violation says that you get punished, then you get punished. Uh, I don't care if it's in the middle of the World Series. Um, You know, the uh, NBA didn't think about suspending Draymond Green the next season when they uh, suspended him for a game in the uh, 2015 NBA championship. They suspended him right then for violating the two uh, technical foul rule. So, um I thought uh, Major League Baseball really uh, dropped the ball on that. And then the, uh, the really the last thing was the um, I was just uh, thrilled to see Carlos Beltran 
uh, finally win a ring. There were lots of guys on the Astros. In fact, all the guys on the Astros, none of them had won World Series before. Beltran's 40. Uh, He had played for Houston briefly back in 2004 and and just had a magical playoff run where he hit uh, eight home runs in uh, two playoff series. Um, He left uh, Houston to go to uh, via free agency after that playoff run. But the thing that struck me about Beltran more than just finally getting a ring was how much his leadership uh, helped meant helped in the clubhouse and meant to the younger players in the clubhouse. He um, uh, is from Puerto Rico, so obviously impacted by Irma and Puerto Rico, but he really acted as a mentor to many of the Latin and other players on the team. He was able to help them get through the pressure packedness of playing in a World Series and playing in, in playoff games uh, by relating to them and, and being a teacher. Uh, and I thought that was interesting for compliance officers to think about that role that they can fulfill as they operationalize compliance into the very DNA of their organization. So I found lots of um, lessons to be learned, and I'm going to take the advice of one Jay Rosen and Charlie Nugent, who said also was a long-suffering Red Sox fan, uh, who said to me, uh, just enjoy it. So I'm going to enjoy this for a year. Well, it's it's well well deserved and well earned. Um, anything uh, happen uh, with Gerber this week? Oh, we had a great talk by your uh, colleague Eric Feldman. He came to Houston, presented to the Greater Houston Ethics and Business Roundtable um, on uh, some compliance and ethics and how you can really imbue that into your uh, culture. So uh, thanks, uh, kudos to Eric. I hope he enjoyed uh, it as much as we did. We had a great crowd. Also, the uh, physical location was at Phillips 66. They opened a new building about 12 months ago, and it is just a fabulous structure and office building for that company. It's something they're extraordinarily proud of. It's uh, so modern that they actually use it in recruiting. Um, It's so uh, technologically advanced. Uh, So it was great for Phillips 66 to open that up. Uh, And for people like me, they actually have Starbucks in the lobby. So, I mean, I don't know how you can get any better than that. Um, if I could, Jay. So, um, are you re- – sure. Um, I started as – it's a new month. I have a, a new month on my one month uh, to an effective compliance program podcast series I'm running this year. Uh, this month I'm looking at 360 degrees of communication as a way to enhance your compliance program. I'm pleased to have this month's uh, sponsor, Dunn & Bradstreet. It's available on all of my sites, the FCPA Compliance Report, iTunes, Libsyn, YouTube, and JD Supra. If you really want to understand how a you can calibrate the communications of your compliance and into a much more holistic approach, not top-down, not even a two-way communication, this will be the monthly series for you. So I've got that going. Great. I understand you're uh, zipping off to the airport for uh, a trip to the other side of the pond what's yeah. uh what's happening in london uh, i've got a couple of speeches next week i'm speaking at a quartery compliance uh, hosted event uh i think it's called breakfast with tom fox uh that jonathan armstrong is going to uh, interview me so that will be fun i'm also speaking to uh, a group called agma and that group, um, talking to them about uh, anti-corruption compliance and the broader compliance program. So uh, very pleased to be heading over uh, to London for a couple of speeches. So uh, I hope you have a great trip to London. 
there will be uh, a Jay Rosen's uh, weekend report and uh, HB and I are going to see what kind of ethics and compliance lessons we can glean from the Rock and Roll and the NFL Hall of Fame. So, Jay, you want to take us home? Sure. So on behalf of Tom Fox, the compliance evangelist, and myself, Jay Rose, and Mr. Monitors, we'd like to thank you for joining us for this week in FCPA, episode 75, for the weekend of November 3rd, the World Series Champs Edition. And for the next year, Tom Fox has a free pass to talk about his world champion, Houston Astros. Thanks so much for joining us and have a great weekend. This is Tom Fox. Thank you again for listening to This Week in FCPA. If you have listened to this podcast on iTunes, I would appreciate it if you would rate our podcast as it would help in our rankings and help get the word out about the only weekly wrap-up of all things ethics and compliance related. Also, if you have any questions, you can email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. You can email Jay at jrosen at affiliatedmonitors.com. Once again, thank you for listening to Episode 75, the World Series Champ Edition, and I hope you'll join us again next week when Jay Rosen and I report on all things in the FCPA and greater compliance and ethics world. The FCPA Compliance Report is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.